our, our service. Well, we've already kicked off our service. Let me say that again. Uh, we want, I want to kick off this sermon with a really cool announcement. Um, last week, we had Redeemer City represented here by Pastor Nate Hobart. And we're talking about their vision for their new building and just needing help with making sure that gets off the ground in a healthy way. And we basically asked you guys for money. And you guys delivered. And so it, we raised uh, $14,500. So, yeah, let's give it up. So that's a good chunk of change for them. They've been raising money from other places too. But that's really cool. And what that communicates is that as this church, we are being who we say we are. As we are uh, fully supportive of church planting. And the churches that we planted and are in partnership with. And so that's just something that you should be encouraged by. Um, I'm really encouraged by that. Our elders are really encouraged by that. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. So we, um, we take pleasure in collectively being generous because our God is a generous God. And we live and breathe and move in his image as he's made us to be. And so you guys are being who you say you are. Being who you are. And that really touches on what we're going to get at today in our sermon. So if you have a Bible, let's open up to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the, uh, it'll be on the screen, but I'd love for you to see it there in your own text. Matthew chapter 4. I don't know about you, but I feel like I see this in myself. I see this all around me. So many of us live like we have something to prove. So many of us live like we have something to prove. It's it's hard to be secure in our identity, right? And so we feel this immense pressure to demonstrate that we are something that we're striving to be. See what I'm saying? Like people are watching me with, let's say you're a young mom. People are watching me with my little kids. And deep down I want to prove that I'm a good mom. I have to. And for a lot of us, these things are very kind of under the surface. That Maybe they're just simmering. But they're present. If you peel it back, man, i got to prove I'm a good mom. My boss is watching me at work. i got to prove that I'm a hard worker. I need to prove that I'm super spiritual, even though I'm not. So I might be a little overbearing when it comes to talking about my faith. I need to prove that I'm really smart so that if I feel like I make a fool out of myself in public, man, that's going to crush me. So many of us live with this undercurrent of stress related to trying to prove ourselves prove to ourselves and to others that we are something that we're striving to be. Does that make sense? About three and a half years ago, I was dealing with some debilitating anxiety and depression that had some significant consequences for me. And one of those was I needed to start seeing on a more regular basis a biblical counselor. And uh, I remember one poignant time that 
I was meeting with him, and he was really repeatedly exhorting me, hey, man, you're just going to, like, part of the, like, the, the one slice of the pie, of the holistic pie in terms of pursuing health in my life was I was needing to pursue more rest. It just kind of popped the pressure balloon, you know. And I was consistently resisting him and his counsel along those lines. And I remember one time, and this guy... This guy's super gentle, and it's not like he had a track record of really confronting me. Um, and he has a sweet Scottish accent, and it just makes me want to, like, make a pillow out of his accent and sleep on it, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just like, just keep talking. It's like, oh, Zach, I'm so sorry, Zach. It's like, <laughs> and it just, like, rings my ears with such joy. But anyway, he looked at me, and he's, he said, Zach, what are you trying to prove? What are you trying to prove? With this pace, with, with this resistance to rest, what are you trying to prove? Good question. What am I trying to prove? It just kind of arrested me. Stopped me in my tracks. I'll always remember that moment. Well, this morning we're going to see in Matthew chapter 4 that, that Jesus, we're going to learn from Jesus, that he doesn't have anything to prove to Satan or anybody else. His identity is settled and secure. And for the exact same reasons that we'll see in the Bible this morning, we have nothing to prove either if you're in Christ. We have nothing to prove either. We're going to learn that from Jesus this morning. But before we get into chapter 4, we've got to back up a little bit and kind of build a bridge with what Michael preached on last week. So open up to Matthew chapter 3. And look at verse 16. Matthew 3.16. It says this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Did you see the identity statement here? Did you catch it? Who is Jesus? Did you see the little word there is? Who is he really? Well, Matthew 3 tells us. So imaginatively place yourself in the world of the text, okay? If you, if you, if you can do that, it's kind of like a scene from a movie, like this, like this ceremony of sorts, right? And Jesus is being baptized, so he's lowered down underneath the water, and then he comes up out of the water, and he's all soaking wet, dripping with water, passing through the waters of judgment. And then behold, it says, the heavens were opened. Like, what does that mean? Well, you can imagine it. I'm not sure totally what it means in terms of the exact details. That's what the Bible says. The heavens were opened. And then the Holy Spirit, it wasn't a dove, but it was like a dove. See that? Descends. And then you hear this voice. There's a lot going on here, if, if we can slow down and imagine it. This is, what's that mean? That's an identity statement from God the Father about God the Son. This is my Son. And guess what else? I am well pleased with Him. 
So what, what do you think is the whole purpose here? Like, why did God the Father say that about God the Son in that moment, right then and there? Well, there's probably a lot we could say. But I think the big one is this. If this identity is settled, done deal, spoken, word of God, for everyone to hear, what's the response? You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. See, if Jesus' identity is secure, it's a done, settled deal. There's no question marks. Who's this Jesus guy? No, this is God's son. I'm well pleased with him. You can follow him. You can love him. You can trust him. See, if we're kind of wishy-washy on who Jesus is, then we may not be so quick to, to, to leave everything behind and follow him. But if we know for a fact this is who Jesus is, son of God, then we can rise up and follow, right? It's an identity statement. God the Father is making the identity of God the Son very, very clear. It'd be kind of like if, if you just moved into my neighborhood and you're looking for someone to cut your grass, mow your, mow your lawn, and you see me out walking one day and you're like, hey, uh, I see that you're part of this neighborhood. Um, is there anybody that you know that, you, that, that I could hire to, to cut, cut the grass? And I say, yeah, you should hire my son. We've tried to raise him right. We've tried to teach him the difference between right and wrong. He's got a track record thus far of being 16 years old, of doing a pretty good job. He's my son. I love him. You should hire him. Like, that's a lot different than me just saying, yeah, there's this kid down the street. I don't know what, what, what his deal is, but yeah, go for it. Right? That's a big difference. I'm going to instill trust in my neighbor if I share that kind of information about my son. And the same thing is happening here. God the Father is communicating that Jesus is worthy to be trusted. His identity is being proclaimed. Son of God, period. So if the Father is pleased with him, you should be pleased with him too. That's the point here. You know for sure who Jesus is based on the authority of God the Father himself. So that's chapter 3, the mystery of the Trinity, the identity of Jesus. But now we come to a transition. And, man, it's, it, it really is too bad to say this, but there's a, a stark transition. Because you know what? The devil hates chapter 3. The devil hates chapter 3. He hates the secure, settled identity of Jesus. And so he shows up in chapter 4. And that's what we're going to see here today. Let's take a look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. All right, let's stop right there. I think it would be really helpful for us to stop and reflect more broadly on the devil's tactics. And the way I want to do that is to jump back to Genesis chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can just do that real quick. I think it's very important for us to see this in the text. Genesis chapter 3, it's like the third page of your Bible. Starting in verse 1, we're, we're trying to figure out the devil's tactics here. When he's tempting someone, how does he do that? He's tempting Jesus here in Matthew 4. How's he always done it, though? Genesis 3, way back at the beginning, verse 1. Now the serpent 
was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So what's going on here? It's not some big like horror movie, you know, full frontal assault, is it? It's pretty subtle. Just asking a question. Just asking a question. It seems pretty subtle, but it's extremely diabolical because who in their right mind would question the word of God himself, the God of the universe? But that's what he does here. Did God really say? And, and we see that that's a form of what, God, what, what Satan is doing in chapter 4 of Matthew as well. In, in some ways, this is Satan's number one tactic. If Satan can get you to question God's word about your identity, he's got you. But Satan just says, is God trustworthy? Just, just planting a little seed of doubt. Is he trustworthy? Did he really say? Like, can God's word really be trusted? See, this is ground zero for many of us in this room. Listening to the lies of the devil and not God's word about your identity. Satan comes and he whispers in your ear and he says, you are not who God says you are. You're a fake. You're a failure. You're condemned and lost. You'll never be worthy. You'll never have peace. You'll never find joy in God. And usually it's a lot more subtle than that. And let's look at how he does this with Jesus. Look at verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God. Now, so stop right there. You see what he's doing? Just asking a simple question, right? But what do we read in chapter 3? What did, what did God the Father say? He said, is, right? This is. And now what is the, what is the devil doing? He's attacking Jesus' declared and settled secure identity. Look at what he says. If, if you are. No, no, chapter 3 is, is, it's done. Satan operates in the realm of the if. It, the battle centers around these two tiny little words, is and if. God the Father operates in the area of is, are, am. And Satan hangs out in the if. You feel that? See, it's important to see Satan's tactics so we can recognize them when they come and, and so we can battle them. And just like we saw in chapter 3, Jesus' identity is settled. God spoke it with words, but Satan isn't having it. And just like in Genesis 3, same old tactics, sowing seeds of doubt, just asking simple questions. Are you really the son of God? Is he really well pleased with you? Who are you really? Shouldn't you have to prove yourself a little more, Jesus? Don't you need to do some more convincing? See, Satan is attacking God's words of identity for his people. God the Father says if. Sorry. God the Father says is. Satan says if. Look at verse 2. 
After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So Satan's saying to Jesus, you have something to prove. If you're the Son of God, prove it. I know you're hungry. Prove it. See, God the Father's word is not enough. You should do a little more to prove yourself. No, you're hungry, so use your power to serve yourself. Use your power to, to, to just, just practice a little bit of selfishness. I mean, you've been fasting for 40 days. Everyone would understand. I mean, what the heck? Jesus, you need to focus on yourself more, and you've got the power to do it. So prove to me who you are. That's what Satan is doing here. You see this? But Jesus doesn't take the bait. Why? Because number one, he doesn't have anything to prove to Satan. And number two, using his power for the salvation of himself, for the serving of himself, is the exact opposite of why he came. It's the exact opposite way of the cross. You see that? Jesus said, think about this, Jesus said, when he was being arrested, he said, don't you know that I can right now snap my fingers or call from heaven and a legion of angels will be here to rescue me at my disposal? He said, but that's not what I'm here for. The scripture has to be fulfilled. This is the way, the, the way of the cross is, the, is my way. It's like I can get power anytime I want. But y'all need to understand that the power of God is an upside-down power from the world's power. It's not a top-down power. It's a bottom-up power. The, Jesus came to show that the most powerful way is to truly pour himself out for the sake of others, not for the sake of himself. Jesus' power is most clearly seen in Jesus giving himself, not taking. And Satan's just saying, hey, just be a little taker. It's fine. Just use your power for yourself. It's good. It's selfless versus selfish. You see? So Jesus just says, so no, Satan, I will trust God to provide, and I don't need to use my power to serve my own needs. I will use my power to serve their needs. And by the way, I have nothing to prove to you. Let's look at Jesus' tactics here as we continue. In resisting Satan. He battles back with is, not if. He fights Satan with the is, not the if that sows seeds of doubt. Look at what he does. Look at verse 4. He quotes scripture to Satan in response. I don't need to serve myself. Why? Because man lives, does not live on bread alone. But every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus goes to war with Satan with the solid, trustworthy, Matthew chapter 3 type word of God. He doesn't say, if it were written, he doesn't say, gee, devil, I wish it were written. No, he says, look, what does it say? It is written. Meaning, I know God's word, I trust it. God is trustworthy. And his word is trustworthy. So Jesus says, in essence... Here's the deal, devil. I don't need to trust in my power to get things done. I need to trust in God's power to provide truly what I need. 
I don't have anything to prove to you, Satan. You don't have the right to ask me to prove anything to you. God the Father's word about me is enough. I trust that word. Only he has the right to declare. And according to him, in Matthew 3, it's a done deal. So I will continue to trust his word about my identity. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. And the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, see there again, if. He doesn't give up too easy, does he? If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, it is written. Not if it is written, or I wish it were written. No, it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So we see the same pattern all over again, right? Verse 6, if. Verse 7, Jesus responds with an is. But take note of a slight difference here. Satan himself quotes, quotes the Bible. Satan himself has scripture memorized. You ever thought about that? And he, he knows enough to twist it. And he's saying again, prove yourself, Jesus. Jesus, you still have something to prove. Matthew 3 is not enough. you got to prove yourself to me. And Jesus says, I don't need to. Why? Because God has already said it, and I believe it. I don't need to put God to the test. I don't need to put God to the test. God has commanded that we not put him to the test. That's what you're asking me to do is, like, God, I want you to, I want you to prove that you love me so for you to prove that you love me, I'm going to throw myself off this temple and I'm going to twist scripture to believe uh, that nothing's going to happen to me if I put you to the test. Because I just don't really believe that you're, you're going to care for me. I don't, don't believe that you have my best interest in mind, so I'm going to test you. Your word isn't enough. i got to add to it with some activity, right? Testing God is essentially a lack of faith. God's revealed word is not enough. Like for us it might be, God, I know that your Bible is trustworthy, but if you would just give me a sign today, God, I know you're going to provide for me. I know that's a promise in the word. But if you would just kind of write it in the sky a little more clearly. I mean, this isn't enough. I need it a little more clearly. I mean, this is good. But if you would just, like, write it in the sky, then I would believe. You ever have thoughts like that? That's putting God to the test. Most of us don't do it super overtly. We do it internally. I do it internally. It's putting God to the test. God, what you've already given isn't enough. I need more from you. What you've said in your word is not enough. So why don't you hook me up with some crazy miracle? Then I would really believe and follow you. See, I prayed that way. But see, isn't the historical fact of the cross and the resurrection enough to trust God without having to demand more from him? And we could go on and on. But isn't that enough? 
Like, why do we need more? Satan wants us to demand more from God as a reflection of a lack of belief. And once he's got us there, he's got us. And it's just a slippery slope. Because it will never be enough. I mean, think about the history of Jesus' life. He did miracles in front of people's faces that we think if we saw, we would just like in mass repent and believe. That's not what happened in Jesus' day. He did miracles, rose Lazarus from the dead, and says the Pharisees hated him all the more. So thinking we can put God to the test, that's dangerous territory. For most of us, almost 100% of the time, that's going to just be a reflection of a lack of faith. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, I have faith in God's word. And Satan, I know you're trying to twist it right now. Here's the truth. Satan brings lies, and Jesus and his people fight back by demonstrating our trust in God through the word of God that is given. And we speak it, and we know it, and we memorized it, we meditated on it. Look at verse 8. Third time. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve, uh, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So, we see a very similar pattern again. Jesus knows who he is and battles Satan by demonstrating the highest trust in the word of God. You see that? Just quotes in scripture. I'm going to listen to the word of God and not your word. The word of God says this, that's where I'm going. I'm not going to worship anybody else other than God. So here's the deal. Believing God's word about your identity and God's word about what he will provide is the key to battling Satan. Let me say that again. Believing God's word about your identity, like we see Jesus doing here, and God's word about what he will provide is the key to battling Satan. Jesus overcomes Satan's lies about his identity by trusting in God's word and quoting it, speaking it, meditating on it, thinking about it. So let me close by just asking a a super simple but complex question question that I think is super important for all of us. Who are you? Who are you? And then the follow-up question is just as important. And how do you know? How do you know? Is there any authority you can stand on to come to any conclusions about your identity? So let's learn from Jesus this morning. Jesus says in essence, I don't have anything to prove to you, Satan. Only God has the right to identify me. Be gone. And I'm listening. I'm listening to what he says. I'm trusting in what he says. Matthew 3, it's a done deal. This is well-pleased, period. And I'm going that direction. That's the way I'm going. 
So get in the habit of saying that to Satan when he whispers in your ear. Only God has the right to tell me who I am. You don't have that right, Satan. I don't believe you. I believe God and his word. That's the mechanism that we see in Matthew 3 and 4. Let me say it again. Only God has the right to tell me who I am. You don't have that right, Satan. I don't believe you. I believe God and his word. And let me take it a step further. This applies to us as well. When we whisper in our own ears, right? We have all this self-talk that probably happens more than satanic talk that happens all day long, right? But here's the deal. Same thing. You don't have the right to self-identify. Let that be a cultural revolution for us. You don't have the right to self-identify. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. What matters is God. What does he say about you? What does he say about you? In in a world that's scrambling to self-identify and finding feet firmly planted in midair, in a world where there's mass confusion about how true identity, how to find true identity that's secure, where can that be found? Christians can stand up and say, I don't have the right to self-identify. But God has the right to identify me. Get this, I'm not who I say I am. I'm who God says I am. What does God say? Do you know what God says about you? If you've repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus to save you from your sin and to give you new life, do you know what he says about you? He says that you're his child. He says that you're secure. He says that you're chosen before the foundation of the world. He says that you're redeemed. He says that you're loved. He says that you're forgiven. I'm not making that up. that's, That's all right here. That's who I am. I'm not condemned. I'm not forsaken. I'm not lost. I'm found. I've been bought with a price. That's who I am. I am who God says I am. So Satan doesn't have the right to question this. You don't have a right to question this. I don't have a right to question this. Because we are who God says we are. It's not my subjective feelings. It's not satanic whispers in my ear. It's not just the emotional roller coaster that I experience. I am who God says I am, period. So here's the question. Again, do you know who you are? Do you know who God says you are? Have you looked at it? Have you memorized it? Have you meditated on it? Day and night. Because that's how we battle Satan. You with me? That's how we battle Satan. Know God's word, we're sunk. Jesus comes. God speaks about him in Matthew 3. That wasn't a done deal. What would we have? But it's a done deal. It's settled. God deals in the am, is, are. Satan deals in the if. And so we can have the same assurances that Jesus had in this text. We have the spoken word of God right here. 
This is enough to trust that we are who he says we are. This is enough to fight back against the lies of Satan. This is enough to have massive security in your identity. And there's so much dysfunction in our world that just flows downstream from just not knowing who we are. And there's so many ways that we're searching, got so much to prove and just exhausted. And God's word comes to us by his spirit and says, you can trust this. This is who you are. Repent and believe in King Jesus and learn who you are. And then calm down. It's going to be okay. He's got you. It's settled. It's secure. Get off the treadmill. The treadmill leads nowhere. You got nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to lose, nothing to fear. In light of your identity, it's over. And you're secure. Let's pray. Father, would you help us live in light of these truths? We need your help. By the power of your spirit, we need your help. And so, Lord, we ask for it. We thank you for your promises that are sure and settled in your word. Lord, would you help us to live in light of them? Would you help us to be who we are? And repent when we fail and just start all over again because you have um, just given steadfast love to your people. And we know you never give up on us. We thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen.